0: Well, as I, I listen to the texts this morning, listen to the lamenting of Job, we listen to Mark as he talks about those who give up so much will be rewarded with so much. But then there's this little caveat with harassment. And as we look at Psalm 22, we see a a lament there, the words probably so familiar to us, at least the opening ones, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so we wonder as we go into the lesson this morning, can can we take any more of this this morning? It's it's Sunday after all and and we're after a little bit of peace and rest and to have our batteries recharged as we come into church. And these are the lessons the scriptures that hit us this morning and it's a bit overwhelming. And so Hebrews is the epistle for this morning and I have to tell you that in some ways it's very uplifting kind of a counterbalance to the scriptures that we've heard thus far, and in other ways there's a little bit of a warning, and so we have to take this morning as an opportunity to grow in our walk with Jesus. Let me just read what uh, the author of Hebrews has for us here. It's in chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. It's not a very long passage but it has a lot to it so the writer says indeed the word of god is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword piercing until it divides soul from spirit joints from marrow it is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart And before him no creature is hidden, but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are yet without sin let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need so here the writer of Hebrews tells us that the word of God, we might just simply call it the truth, is like a two-edged sword. And I think that's kind of an interesting analogy. The sword of the word is, is sharp. It's, it's like a scalpel. It's like a surgical instrument. It, it can divide and distinguish between things that that generally, in, with the human eye, we can't really distinguish. What do I mean by that? Well, things that are closely related are often indistinguishable to, the, to first sight, to the human eye. And here he gives the example of the soul and the spirit. There are two words that are so similar to us Most people understand them to be the same thing. In fact, we probably, in many cases, use them interchangeably, soul and spirit. And that's what we do in our everyday language. But if we analyze this passage a little bit and several others that go along with it, we see that the biblical definition of soul and spirit is very different. And it's helpful to us as we go through and try to understand who we are in relation to Jesus. What is exactly the difference between soul and spirit? First Thessalonians gives us a little bit of insight. It says, May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and your soul and your body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So according to First Thessalonians, We are made up of three distinguishable parts. Soul, spirit and body. So what's the difference between soul and spirit? Well, the spirit is that life force within each of us. It's the part of our being that is justified when we receive Jesus as Lord and savior. It's the part of us that as we go through life and as we grow in our relationship with Christ, it's the part of us that is sanctified as we become more like him. And it's the sanctified spirit, and then finally when we move on to the glorified spirit, this is the us that we'll have for all of eternity with Jesus, for all time, forever, It's The spirit is who we truly are because of what Jesus did for us through his death and resurrection. The spirit is the us that God sees when he looks at us. The soul, on the other hand, is that part of us that makes us unique human beings in all of God's creation. It's what we call our personality, our thoughts, our attitudes. That's the part of us that's that's the soul see the as believers our spirit is blameless because of what jesus did for us but our soul on the other hand our thoughts our attitudes our heart our soul needs continuous renewal renewal in what pastor well renewal in the word of god it needs constant reminding of who we are in the spirit that's why God's mercy and grace, Scripture said, is renewed every morning. Because our soul needs constant, daily renewal, reminding of who we are in the Spirit. And then the third part of us, the body, that, well, that's just the vessel. For this particular season in our eternal life, for this particular season, we need something to contain both the soul and the soul. And the spirit so that we can walk around as a whole person here in this life. I think it's helpful sometimes to look at other versions of the Bible. The Amplified Bible tends to plug in a lot of words so that we can get a clearer picture of what the scripture is trying to say. And in this one verse, which is really just a couple of sentences in the Amplified version, it's a paragraph. I'll read it to you because I think it's helpful. It's helpful. This is Hebrews 4.12 from the Amplified Bible. It says, For the word of God, for the word that God speaks, is alive and full of power, making it active, operative, energizing, and effective. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating to the dividing line of the breath of life we call soul and the immortal spirit. And of joints and marrow, in other words, the deepest parts of our human nature, exposing and sifting and analyzing and judging the very thoughts and purposes of the heart. Well, what does that mean exactly? Well, first of all, I think we have to take a a little bit of a caveat, a little bit of a diversion. When we talk about a two-edged sword, we have to realize that that this two-edged sword of truth is a very dangerous weapon. The sword of truth makes Satan scurry into the abyss, into the darkness from which he came. And if handled properly, it can can dissect (coughs) spirit from soul, bone from marrow, truth from lie, Right, That's why Satan's so afraid of it. But if handled improperly, well, it can cut the person who's swinging it just as easily as it cuts that who we're swinging it against. What does that mean? Well, if the truth is used incorrectly as a weapon to point out the flaws of another, well, the one who swings it usually finds themselves just as convicted, just as cut as the one that they're trying to convict. Paul puts it like this in Romans. He says, You then that teach others, will you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You that forbid adultery, do you commit adultery? You that abhor idols, do you rob temples? In other words, we have to be mindful when we swing the sword of truth that it has two edges, sharp edges that are capable of cutting in both directions, capable of cutting those that swing it just as deeply as those to whom we apply it. And so before swinging the sword of truth, it's wise to ground ourselves in Scripture, examine our motives, so that we always speak the truth in what? In in love. And we do that From a position of righteousness, not self-righteousness, not self-interest. But from a position of holiness. Because if we don't, that steely blade of truth will penetrate our heart just as deeply. Now, I, I feel like we needed to interject that as we continue. Because the next verse in Hebrews... Says, before him no creature is hidden, but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. Who is the one? Well, it's Jesus Christ. He is the one who is given the authority to judge each of us. And so, when we're swinging that sword of truth, well, we better take a good look at what's in our heart because it's certainly going to be revealed to Jesus. And so in examining our hearts, we have to know that we can't hide any secrets there. Hebrews tells us that the content of our soul, our heart, will be laid bare in front of him. We can't hide the content of our heart because God sees it all even right now as we're sitting here in church God sees the content of our heart and so what's the point in trying to hide it because the truth is going to lay it all open on that coming appointment that we all have where we have to give an account to Jesus at the judgment and so Hebrews is a reminder that we need to confess those things that are in our heart. Confession is indeed good for the soul. Confession and then repentance, turning away from that stuff that we've been holding in our heart. And all of that is essential for getting our souls aligned with the blameless spirit that Jesus has so gracefully given to each of us when we receive him. Let that soak for just a second. The next part of the passage in verse 14 explains why confession is good for the soul. Why our spirit as believers is blameless. It says, Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. Since we have this great high priest, in other words, let's be honest and open with him. Let's confess what he already knows is in our hearts. Let's get it out into the light so it can be cleansed. That's what light does. It purifies. See, we don't have this high priest. And here's the thing about confession we need not be afraid to get that stuff in the light, whatever it is, because we have a great high priest who's been where we are. We forget sometimes that this great high priest, this, this holy God, Jesus, was fully, completely human. And so we don't have a high priest, Hebrews reminds us, who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. But we have one who in every respect has been tested the same way that we are. The only difference is when Jesus was tested, he didn't submit to the evil. He didn't submit to the wickedness. He was completely, totally sinless. And so, what Hebrews is saying is that our confession doesn't fall on deaf, unsympathetic ears. And that our Savior, Jesus, is our intercessor and our advocate. Why is He such a zealous intercessor and advocate? Because He's been there. He understands. He's sympathetic to the struggle that we have as humans because He's been where we are. He's not only fully God, but He's also fully human. He endured every temptation, every hardship, every difficulty, every trial and tribulation that we go through every day out there. He went through it, and he did so without sin. And here's the thing about that that's so wonderful. Because he did it without sin, he then qualified to be the perfect sacrifice for our inability to be sinless. We couldn't do it. And so his sacrifice paid this sin debt in full. Totally, completely paid off. It covered our transgressions with the blood of the lamb. And because of that we can approach the throne of God not with timidity. We don't have to tiptoe into the throne room we can walk in and fling the doors open and say here I am Lord do you get the difference that stuff that's buried down in your heart the stuff that is from your past that you're not proud of that stuff that even though I've received Jesus as my Lord and Savior and I say I'm I'm saved I'm justified I'm on the path of sanctification I'm trying every day to be more and more like Jesus. I don't have to be ashamed of that stuff. I can open up my heart to my Savior and say, you know what's in there, Lord. You know it. Here it is. This is is who I am, but because of what you did for me, well, you know who I really am now. And so we don't have to stealthily twist the handle on the throne room door and peek our head in to see if there's anyone in the throne room because trust me, he's always there. We don't have to push the door open timidly hoping that it doesn't creak too loudly and disturb the holy of holies no it's more like a saloon door in an old western god i'm here and yes i'm a mess but i'm your mess and i'm here right in front of you with all of the stuff laid out and jesus is there at the right hand of god and he says yes lord that's one of mine yes he's a mess but i've seen the mess and he's received me and so now All you see is my blood that covers him. His sin bought and paid for. He's allowed to come into the throne room as one of mine. And God says, all I see is you, Jesus. All I see is you. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need i wonder do we really understand the depth of that whatever our need whatever our circumstance whatever we're struggling with whatever we're enduring we are able because of what jesus did for us to receive mercy and grace in our time of need i wonder are there any needs out there as humans in the fallen broken world do we have need of mercy and grace of course we do There will be times in this life when we feel alone and abandoned, like Job, sitting on the ash heap, scraping off all the stuff of our life with a pot shirt, wondering, God, oh God, why have you forsaken me? And then we think our Savior endured all that we do and more even feeling that utter abandonment on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, when he said those words, he had the weight of all of our sins, all of the sins of the world, past, present, and future, all of those pressing down on him. And so He reaches into his vast knowledge of Scripture and he picks out one psalm. And all those gathered around the cross hear him as some of his final words. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then everybody's... Brain that's down around the cross instantly clicks in. That's the 22nd Psalm. Let me see if I can recall how that goes. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you don't answer. And by night, and I find no rest. See, that's just the beginning of the psalm. But you, O oh Lord, do not be far away. O oh, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword. My life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. From the horns of the wild oxen. You have rescued me. I will tell of your name to my brothers and sisters. In the midst of the congregation and countryside. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he did not despise or abhor the affliction of the afflicted. He did not hide his face from me, but heard when I cried to him. He looked up when I opened the doors of the throne room. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will pay before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. To him, indeed, shall all who sleep in the earth bow down. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, and I shall live for him. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord and proclaim his deliverance to a people yet unborn who are sitting here right now in countryside, United Methodist Church, and they will say he has done it. This is the 22nd Psalm that Jesus, hanging from the cross in his last breath, this is what he was saying when he said, my God, my God, why have you Abandoned. It wasn't a cry of defeat. It was a cry of victory. What began with despair ends in glory. What began with agony and abandonment ends with redemption and victory. And because of who he who he is and who we are in him, we get to share in the victory. We need this victory. In this life, we need this victory. We need his mercy and his grace every day. And we receive his mercy and grace every day because every morning when we wake up, that mercy and grace are new. And so whatever your burdens are this morning, allow the Holy Spirit of God to usher you into the throne room. Because it is within your reach as a believer. Do you you see it? Do you see the door to the throne room? Do you understand that you can push those doors open even now in the midst of whatever you're going through and be received before the throne of grace? The throne of grace. It's it's the throne that sits right next to the cross of Christ. You won't be able to miss it. It's approachable because of Jesus. And if you're on the fence about this whole Jesus thing this morning, there's no time like the present to gain access to mercy and grace through Christ. And so, I realize that every Sunday, I tend to preach to the choir. Not not that choir, this choir. But I want to extend the invitation to anyone who is on the fence about Jesus this morning. And only you know who you are. And know right up front, right now, there is absolutely nothing to fear, nothing to feel shame about because mercy and grace are here for the asking. And so if the congregation would indulge me for a moment, I'd like everyone to bow your heads, close your eyes. I'd like all of us to assume this posture of prayer that's so familiar to us as we approach this throne of grace together. And as you're walking into the throne room boldly, ask Jesus into your heart this morning. And if you've never done this before, and you're doing this for the very first time, just know that all heads are bowed, all eyes are closed. I want you to step out boldly and pray this prayer with me because all of us will never be in this specific moment ever again and so this is the time, this is the place, you are among friends, to pray. Lord Jesus, I am weak in my sin. I have not lived my life in according to your will and I admit that I am lost and I am broken. But Jesus, I believe that you came into the world and took my sin upon yourself. Lord, I believe you went to the cross as payment for my sins and the sins of all people everywhere. And I believe you died and you went to the grave and then you rose again conquering death. And because you did that, you provided the way of reconciliation and redemption for me to get me back into the throne room. And so, Lord Jesus, I ask you to be my Savior, to be the Lord of my life from this moment forward. And I claim The inheritance of eternal life with you. In your holy and mighty name I pray it. Amen. So if you were able to pray those words just now for the very first time, if you opened and laid bare your heart with honesty, and contrition, I would encourage you, get with me at the point of your choosing in the very near future, in the days ahead, and let's explore together the next steps for you in this journey of faith that you have started today. And know this, that by asking Jesus into your heart, if you did that just now, you are now justified. You are now able to approach the throne of grace and receive mercy and grace right now in your time of need and from this day forward. And to that, all of us as believers can say hallelujah. Glory to God.